0: Actually doing really well. It's uh, something that I live with. It's definitely affecting uh, my legs a little bit now. So walking is becoming a little bit more difficult. But as far as uh, my playing is concerned, luckily it hasn't hasn't, uh, got to the point where it's um, preventing me to play anything. So I feel like I'm still at the top of my game. So I'm very thankful. You see
1: it coming in the horizon and you're attempting to... It seems like... Get in as much as possible at this point.
0: Exactly. That's why we finished the tour last year after the 71 shows and took a week off and then went into the studio. And we didn't come out of the studio until we started rehearsing for this tour. So we basically, we've done since the end of September, beginning of October last year, we've done four projects. So all blues being the first one and when we go home i'm sure we'll be doing the same thing again so because we have the on the fourth project which will be a solo record the others are with my band um well their band the band are on the solo record too but but specifically it's all it's new material and we'll we'll finish that one off and then probably start the christmas album (laughs) <laughs> I've never done one of those. Are you worried that you might be working yourself a little too hard at this point? No, no. I, I think that touring is obviously whether, whether I was uh, dealing with what I am dealing with or not being at my age, uh, it's a little bit more tiring, <laughs> but uh, I think that I, I'm doing what I need to do for me personally, mentally, as well as physically. I think that the, the the thing that gives me most joy which is my passion is to play guitar and to play it in front of these amazingly encouraging uh, audiences i can't explain it's every night i walk off with a tear you know because they just emote so much warmth every night on this tour so i i can't thank everybody enough it's doing me so much good and you know, therefore, my job now is to do as much good, and as we are raising a lot of money on this tour for IBM, so with Johns Hopkins, with my my fund that we set up, so uh, it it's just um, in, in a not so good uh, case situation, things are going rather well. Put it that way.
1: You know, you've always known that we're all here for a finite time, and we're all able to do things for a finite time. And as you said, you've been doing this for a very long time now. But since you've disclosed this, and since you've been very upfront about the fact that this is your last tour, do the shows feel different?
0: Yes, and it's 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 mainly from the audience. We we know it, obviously, me and my band. But we, we're planning on working together for as long as I can mm-hmm. after after this tour in the studio. And hopefully a few one-off shows. It all, but I I have to be realistic and just say that I can't make those sort of decisions right now because it's kind of month to month. If you know what I mean. Generally, you know that that feeling from the audience is what makes makes us realize that. With the as I said, the the amount of encouragement and warmth that comes from them, it's pretty incredible. It's each night is. I don't know. It's very hard to leave the stage, um, because they don't want me to, and I don't want to either. (laughs) You know, this is what I do. This is my life, you know, so I'm making the most of it.
1: You've been a prominent music figure for, uh, you know, 50 plus years at this point. Obviously, you know, we all have jobs. Some of them, some of us like them more than others, but we all have rough days. Have, have you generally been able to get this kind of pleasure from playing throughout the decades?
0: Yes. Um. And I, I realized that when when I took time off in the in the eighties, it was about eighty two to eighty six. I, I took off. That's the only time I really took off. Um. Longish period, and uh, I missed it incredibly. And. I uh, realized that mentally I was not doing well because I wasn't doing what I was meant to be doing, you know, so it's everything out of everything that I do, whether it be recording, which I love, um uh, uh writing, which I love too, and playing live. I think I was put here to do that. Most of all, I need the others to be able to have the material to do that, obviously, Um but. But um, the payoff for me has always been live, how you can communicate. I've learned over the years, working with so many different great communicators on stage, how to communicate with that audience and work out what have I got in front of me. You know what I mean? I, I can read an audience really well, and I think that's all part and parcel of why it's so great for me to be able to do that.
1: You'd already had a pretty good run by then. For a lot of people that would have been a a good long run as far as, you know, it comes to playing rock music. Were you were you considering whether you were going to continue going forward at that point? You know, was it clear that you were going to come back to music
0: at some point? Oh yes. I, I hadn't really gone away I was still playing and everything, but I just wasn't playing live and I was doing various little projects with other people. But I I was always going to, uh, at some point, I just didn't know what, at that point, when I stopped playing live was 82, I believe. And it had been, I was only 32. (laughs) You know, so, uh, and I've had this lifelong career already and very successful. So, no, I was still chomping at the bit, maybe a little gun shy from what had, what had just occurred between uh 69 and, and 81 um, uh, those were some heady times with with humble pie and then my my career my huge album obviously no i think that uh it, it's just it, it was an incredible period but it, if anybody had gone through that I defy any of them <laughs> to not need a little bit of a break at that point because I had been, even before Humble Pie, I had been in other bands. Her, very successful in Europe and before that, semi-pro bands. And uh, so, you know, i had been doing this a long time and it was something that going through all that and then going through Frampton Comes Alive was, and I, I use Cameron Coe's quote, my dear friend, he was asked by someone, what do you think happened to Peter Frampton? And when his, you know, his album took off, he said, well, I think it was like Peter was strapped to the nose cone of a rocket, aimed at the moon, landed on the moon, and there was nobody else there. They'd all left. <laughs> I had no one to ask, no one to I wasn't a band. I mean, You know, I remember saying to Ringo, "What happens now? You know, this is this has gone berserk here." And he said, "I don't know. It's different for everybody. Maybe I shouldn't play my own trumpet, but maybe a lesser person would have gone gone bonkers, you know, and lost it completely." I had my time with self medicating myself with ups and downs and drinks and stuff, but. Uh, luckily, I got myself out of that and, you know, now I'm 17 years. Uh, so it, it's something that I I, I think um, it is a very surreal situation where you go from nobody knows who you are except, oh, isn't he that guitarist on the left with Humble Pie that <laughs> plays guitar, you know, to the mailman and the elevator operator and, and the guy behind the counter at the shop. They all know I'm walking down the street and I'm like the Pied Piper and people are following me to that's surreal. You know, it was to a huge extreme for those days. And now I can't imagine what it would have been like with with the media that we have now. But uh, it was it was too much back then.
1: <laughs> I get the sense, having listened to and read interviews with you, that you were completely content to have been the guitar player, to have somebody like Steve Marriott in the band with you, or later on, mm-hmm. you know, after a lot of this had already occurred, be in Bowie's bands, you know, be be his guitar player. Mm-hmm. How is it that you ended up being the frontman and and getting out there in that way? <laughs> By
0: accident. <laughs> the way it happened was that i very funny that i mentioned the shadows every night um because i i did a whole 24-hour day session with with the shadows hank marvin who's my was the reason why i started playing guitar and i mentioned him every night and there was, this morning I wake up and I get a huge email from Hank Marvin. It's it's just it just blows me away that this is the person that the reason that that I started playing and we're, we're terrific friends and have been uh, for many years. but I think that what happened in the in the herd was, that i just wanted to be hank marvin i didn't want to be cliff richard (laughs) or i didn't want to i didn't want to be the singer in the band i just i'll do some oohs and ahs and i'll sing a couple of songs if you want but that if i have to sort of thing you know but that's about it and i sang my one or two songs with the herd until we met the managers uh, Howard and Blakely, who had uh, had a very, very successful writing and managing career with other artists and up till that point. And they got involved with us and I said, We'd like to write, you know, a hit song for you. And we thought, Well, okay, very good. <laughs> I didn't believe anything, you know. And um, they looked down the line of us, all four of us, and they said, We've written this song called I Can Fly and Peter's going to sing it. I said, wait a second. No, 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 no. I'm the guitar player and uh, Andy and and Gary are the lead singers. You know, I just do ooh and ah, remember? So they said, no, we we would like you to to sing this and instantly cause problems in the band (laughs) because now the backing singer is now the lead singer on the single. That single wasn't a hit, but the next one was and pushed me to the front as, This front man of the herd, which I never was. So it, it happened, but that's how it happened. And then obviously every time we had another single come out, there I am singing it again. And it was obvious why I didn't realize at the time, but everybody else did, you know, it was because I was the cute one in the band, you know. And unfortunately, I say that and I mean it because it's forever clouded the issue of guitar. Um, Face, guitar, face Face, guitar, guitar Give me guitar, I don't forget about the face So that's exactly how it happened No one's ever asked me that That's the first time I've discussed it And then of course, when I left the herd I'm singing with Steve Marriott Who i put up there with uh, You know, certain people have put him in the top 10 singers Rock singers of all time Which should be um, right up there in the top 5 And so I'm not singing as much, but then he wanted us all to sing. Greg, me, Greg Ridley, me, and uh, even Jerry sang on, on one of the tracks on the record. He was wanting it to be a very democratic situation, and, and we all loved that, you know. But then when I, but of course I I got so much, uh, I think seeing and listening and playing with, with Steve uh, and realizing that, how phenomenal he was in in every area. I, it taught me so much, and I started to like singing more, you know, listening to people that he'd play me obscure Ray Charles tracks and all, all sorts of different stuff. Then I did get more in, interested in singing. So when I left the band, I knew that uh, this was what I was going to, I was going to be the front man now, so I took it on as i knew what i had to do at that point so that's how it happened from a to z basically
1: <laughs> when you look around and obviously everything is happening really fast and it's it's hard to appreciate a lot of that but you know
0: at the time
1: you had become a a, a pop idol and you know your your poster was going up on walls was right. there concern on your end that perhaps people weren't taking you seriously in the way that you wanted to be taken seriously as a musician
0: well it was all okay until until the live album started to really hit and then i felt the guys go to the back and the girls come to the front you know this was uh upsetting for me but i had made my bed i guess and I was to lie in it. The, the, I think the thing that uh, demoralized me the most was one day, maybe in '79 or something, '80, when I came out of came out of a show to get in the bus or the car, whatever it was. Some guy goes, "Hey, man, I never knew you played guitar," and I thought. What? So that's when I realized that things had gone way astray as far as being a musician. I was enjoying being the personality. Let's face it. Uh, when the world all of a sudden wants to be your friend, you say thank you. You're admired by a lot of people. Unfortunately, those who were admiring me for my guitar playing, which was basically all I was doing before, before I left Humble Pie, were few and far between. Those who knew, knew. Dave was David. I call him Dave. David Bowie was was the one that saw it clearer than I did. We've obviously we went to school together. We've been we were friends all our lives, and so he was always there for a meal or a phone call or what are in the end emails. So when he called me and in eighty five to come and he asked me to play on his record, and I thought all these years. We've been on the same stage, but the same night, but not the same time. And now, I after all this time, we're going to play together. You know, this was phenomenal for me. So I went over and made the record with Dave. And then while we were there, he he took me out to dinner. Well, we went out to dinner a few nights. But he said, well, what do you think about, I've got this mammoth tour lined up the Glass Spider tour. What what do you think about coming and playing guitar there? And I said, let me think about that. Yes. (laughs) I put my next album on hold, which was going to be called uh, When All the Pieces Fit. That was shelved for the moment. I'd started it and went on the road with David. And what he was, I didn't realize, all I thought about that was, I get to play with my buddy after all these years. That was the most enjoyable thing. What he was thinking was, Having seen what had happened, go, he knew me as the guitar player since I was, you know, so big, you know, and um, he saw what had happened. Basically, he gave me this huge, huge gift. You couldn't put a price on it. He took me around the world virtually twice, once in stadiums and once in arenas, reintroduced me as the guitar player. Uh, I can never, I have thanked him. while he was with us. And I have thanked him just about every day since. I mean, that was, I didn't realize at the time what was, Mm -hmm. what was in his mind, but, but that was it, you know, and I can't thank him enough. It's amazing
1: how successful we can get in our chosen fields and, and still be seeking approval from people. <laughs> you know, exactly. you can be at the top of your game and uh, you're still, I don't know if imposter syndrome is the right word, but you're still always looking for the people that you
0: respect to respect you back. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And and I think that from that moment, from coming off the glass by the tour to fingerprints, it took some time. But to me, that was my peers saying to me, We love what you're doing. And that gave me back a lot of my early confidence that I had when I first started out, because I felt that I was accepted on a musical guitar level again. And this was something that I personally thought would never happen again what happened so it was um an immense kick up the ass <laughs> it, it really was it was like i had been granted my wish you know that because i'd done the right thing i hadn't reinvented myself until that point i was still trying to reclaim what was lost in the uh, in the um, after the comes alive fiasco well not the after comes alive came out and the big aftermath of that you know Since then, um, 2005, it's been an incredible, enjoyable period of my life, you know, and I'm very grateful.
1: (laughs) When you sort of come out of the ringer like that, do you come out with a newfound appreciation and you you come out more mindful than you had been before? Uh, Oh, yes, on every
0: level. I, I think being totally out of control of the Frampton Comes Alive situation because nothing was set up. To make money at that point, it was all set up because we were trying to make money. Management were controlling everything, and basically, when the money came in, they controlled everything. Then, so I, I learned the hard way there. Um, and this, as as well as losing the losing my musical credibility, I felt and, and losing my money, <laughs> that was a double whammy. Um, so when when you get to playing with David and then do fingerprints and get a Grammy for it, It's it, it's, it's, it's life, it was life-changing for me and just brought me back to... I had felt like I had lost the center and my direction. And I, I think that it, I found my direction From fingerprints onwards. Sounds like when
1: this diagnosis came through four years ago, that one of the first things you did was sit down and and make a list of all of the projects you would like to do. I suspect one of the things that I would consider attempting to put myself in your place is when time comes to do that final tour, what the final song is is? What's sort of the last song that you want to play on this tour in in front of people? Do do you have a sense of what that is?
0: Oh, yeah, we do it every night. It's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. You know, obviously, having spent time working with George and, and being friends with him, when we lost him, I had at that point, and we lost him, I think, just before Christmas. So the next Year in January, a few weeks later, I had arranged a charity concert in uh, Cincinnati where I was living there. And it was all local talent apart from us, you know. And it was, was for the local scene. So I said to the band, I think I was even... It was like the night before the, the show and I I called up the band and I said, look, let's try this. I, I said, let's do a tribute to George. I, let's do, we all know uh, while my guitar gently weeps. Let's try our version. Uh, see it, try it at the sound check and, and see what it, if we can do it justice and then we'll play it as the last number. And we did and the crowd went absolutely berserk and we couldn't leave the stage. It was one of those moments. And we've basically, we go through phases where we haven't done it as the last number, but I brought it back for the last number because I think it really speaks, you know, and my guitar does weep. I make it weep and I'm sure it will weep. You know, it's just one of those things. As you said, I'm doing everything I can while I can. and And we will be back in the studio after this tour, no matter how tired we are.
1: I have to ask you one final question. This is just something that's bugged me for a really long time, and this mm-hmm. is probably the only time I'm going to have you on the phone. What does the phrase, when someone drops a cup and I submerge, mean? Oh. <laughs> okay, okay.
0: Rem- I remember the exact time that I thought of that line was when we had just uh, the house that I had bought with, with the advance, uh, well, the down payment from the advance from A&M when we signed with Humble, uh, Humble Pie Signed. We had got this house and it, the tile in the kitchen had just gone down. I'm deep in thought and with my back to my wife at that time. And she dropped a cup as she was, put, she was loading all the closets up. And she dropped a cup and the noise, it just smashed on the floor. And I was in deep thought. And it, I almost went through the roof. So that's where that comes from. So it's an actual thing that happened to me. And for whatever reason, I'm very aware of sounds. I have a great sense of smell. I can smell something 30 seconds before somebody else does. And And I can also sound, I hear things that people don't hear. Even though I'm losing my hearing, I still hear that.
1: There you go. That was the legendary Peter Frampton. If you listen to the show with any regularity, you know that we very, very, very rarely run phone interviews on here, but I was offered the opportunity to speak with Mr. Frampton as he's doing his last tour. Absolutely could not turn that down, and uh, I'm glad we uh, decided to do it, because absolutely wonderful conversation with a wonderful dude. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Uh, Peter, as I mentioned, is on tour right now. You can also check out his latest record, All Blues. It is, as the name implies, an All Blues record, and he had a really terrific acoustic record come out in 2016 with some red of some of his best-known songs. Thanks to Peter for taking the time to do that. Thanks to Cammy for helping set up that conversation. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube now. If you have any feedback, it's ryylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's ryylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L-related information. Like us on Facebook. And that's about all we got for now. So stick around because we're going to be back next week with another episode of R.I.Y.L.